This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Web3 Breakdowns. Web3 Breakdowns is a series of conversations exploring innovation in the decentralized internet. Each episode, we will focus on a different topic. We will cover NFT projects, crypto assets, blockchain-based protocols, and businesses being built with Web3 architecture. We will talk to founders, artists, investors, and influencers to understand this emerging ecosystem. Come join us down the rabbit hole. To find more episodes, transcripts, and a library of content to continue your learning, visit joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This is Eric Golden, and my guest today is Jay Stolar. Jay is a musician, songwriter, and producer whose songs have been streamed over 200 million times and recorded by artists ranging from Selena Gomez to John Legend. Jay is also the co-founder of Hume Collective, a Web3 record label that creates music and virtual artists in the metaverse. We discuss Jay's songwriting process and music career, the challenges he faced as a songwriter in the existing music industry, the creation of a virtual pop star Angel Baby, and what Web3 will do for songwriters in the future. Please enjoy this conversation with Jay Stolar. Jay, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, man. It's good to be here. So in preparation for this, we've talked before, and you have a really interesting background. When I talk to Web3 founders, I don't usually get to talk to successful artists and musicians. So I thought maybe a fun place to start would just be your background musically, what it's been like to be an artist. My path has been a little different than most. I started singing when I was seven years old. I had sung a little bit before that at parties. I actually have it in the other room. I have like a little recorder with a microphone that I would carry around as like a three, four, five-year-old. And they had this audition at school where everyone had to go around. So it was the first time I sang publicly. And I hadn't really clicked with a lot of people. I was kind of picked on a little bit as a kid. And then I started singing. And it is still to this day, one of the most spiritual moments I've had in my life. I've had a handful, but that I still remember. From that point forward, it really became the primary thing that I did. And from seven, eight years old, I knew this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. So it started off with what I had available to me, like singing in choirs in school, and then very quickly into theater. So I did a lot of plays and performances and started writing songs on my own time. So I had this weird Batman world of musical theater because it was what was available. And then at night, writing songs by myself in my room. And that continued on through college. I really thought, I want to be an actor, I want to be on Broadway, and I want to have a band. That's my world. I went to NYU to School of the Arts. Unbelievable program with some of the best people in the world. And I started it, and I was like, 
I fucking hate this, which is a lot. You know, you're, it's your first year of college and you start realizing that you think you went and did the complete wrong thing. Luckily, it was still music and art. So I was able to start a band, start playing, and I have probably played over a thousand shows at every single music venue you could possibly imagine in New York and then also across the country. So that became my life for a few years. Meanwhile, I became best friends with this guy named David Biner, who we'll get to later. He's my co-founder at Hume. And really for the first six, seven years of our life, it was just friends. David would come to shows. We'd do fun, creative things together. And I was just watching his world, the business side and blockchain side and media strategy side. I still have this email from 2014 where David was like, I know we don't have a lot of money yet, but I really think you should buy this thing called Bitcoin. I didn't listen enough. If I could back to the future and go back and whisper something in my ear. So I was in a band and the band ended up breaking up and I started a solo career. And I also got out of a long-term relationship from college and was heartbroken and decided I was going to write a song every single day for a year. A song for myself. So at least one song a day. Sometimes I'd be writing more like two or three. And I created a process with one of my professors from NYU, who was the head of the School of the Arts of Drama at the time, that we called The Dig. But it was a creative process where every morning I would improvise melodies and lyrics. And the concept was great songwriting, great art comes from a lack of the monkey brain, old brain filter getting in the way. So if you have a single idea and I sing a note and I follow that to the next note, to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, you end up with something pure and true and resonant. And if something is pure and true and authentic and resonant and comes from you and is well written and structured after that, and then you go and perform it and you're authentic and true, that's how you get really resonant, powerful artists. But if you have the first idea and then your brain's like, ooh, I don't know if that's a good one. I'm scared of that. And then you pivot because of that voice. And now you do the next idea. And then the voice comes in again, you pivot, you end up having something that feels in quotes bad and music and art is so subjective. But I do think bad happens when you are changing what you're creating because of fear. Before we go further, can we just drill into this thing? I did not know this what we were going to talk about, but I personally try to do this morning pages thing where every morning you just get up and write and like get this anxiousness out of your head and onto paper. And I just think about how shitty the ideas are. Like I can't imagine coming up with a good idea every single day or even an interesting thought once a day for a whole year. To me, writing a song of any type of quality that I'd be okay with every day seems impossible, but maybe that's because my monkey brain's too powerful or something. And doesn't let me do what you do. Like, how good are the songs every day? So the same concept, I think, can be applied to anything you do. And true understanding of your craft, whether you're a doctor or a stockbroker or a coder or a songwriter or a basketball player, the underlying concept of showing up each day to a space and honing that craft is what's important. Like if any young songwriter ever comes to me, like a 14 year old songwriter is like, Oh, what do I do? How do I get hits? Like, how do I build this? And it's like, well, how many songs have you written? It's like, I've written like 10. Come back when you've written a hundred. And I actually, I got that advice from a really great songwriter. There used to be a conference called CMJ in New York. 
And I was like, yeah, I'd love to write with you. And he goes, come back a year from now with a hundred tracks and then we could talk. The more songwriters I think you talk to, that answer will come up write a lot because you have to, for every one song that you hear on the radio that has come out, chances are that songwriter has written anywhere from 10 to a hundred songs. I forget the exact number, but a friend of mine wrote for the new Bad Bunny album. And I believe it was 700 ideas that he sent over the course of two years and two ended up on the album. So if you wrote 700 songs to get to one or two, I'm curious how much repetition that something just keeps coming up over all those days. There's either a lyric or a word or a thought that gets repeated that you can't get out of your head. And then how do you know or do you know when you have it? I have a theory that if a scale of one to 10, you can get a song to a nine. Nine to 10 is decided by the people and by culture. So I think getting up to nine, you trust your gut. You trust your gut. You trust what you believe. If you're on the business side and the label side and these songs are not coming to you and you have to decide on a single, you're probably looking at things like, all right, well, what's working in the world? Or should we put another artist on this and have this be something that crosses over and brings in more of their audience? Or is this going to be connected to a really engaging video and that video can be debuted at this time and there could be a TikTok campaign. Like once you get into like marketing and all of that, the decisions become different. But if I'm being honest, I think it comes back to what I talked about before, which is what feels really good, feels the most authentic, has the most magic and is the most special song. There's another really great songwriter said, if you ever meet some business person or someone who's like, Oh, come work with me. I know how to write hits. I'll write all the hits for you and I'll help blow you up. Run for the hills because that person's full of shit. Because the truth is it takes a lot of work, a lot of digging to get to the truth of an artist to build in that kind of way. And it's not great every day, by no means. When I wrote that many songs, they were not great every day. But each week, there was at least one thing that was pure magic. And some weeks, if you're really tapped in, there'd be like five or six songs that are crazy. Like Ed Sheeran's biggest song, Shape of You, or one of his really big songs, he wrote three songs that one day, and each of them are very successful songs. I'm super curious about what makes people have that drive to keep going. I can imagine when you're in a flow state or it just happens, it's like this day you'll never forget and for whatever reason. Are there experiences where you've gone three weeks or four weeks where nothing comes when you hit like a doldrum of nothing is coming out of me? Like, do you change something or do you just, is it just perseverance to keep going for the next week? Perseverance. If you show up to the room and you sit in the room long enough, something will come. You know the meaning of the word genius? No. I might butcher some of this and I forget which old language it was, but originally the concept of genius were these geniuses, like spiritual beings that would live in the walls. And you would be writing and you would be working. And if you hit a block, you had the geniuses to come in and help lift you up and give you that idea. And I think it comes back to the idea of every single thing you do is not going to be genius by any means. But if you do show up, like it's your job or your craft, the way that people have been doing for thousands of years creatively, it will come. Eventually, it will come. It might not be on day one, day two. It might not be on 
day 1000. But at some point, if you stick with it, whatever is true and specific and authentic to you will come. And it's much different than business or tech as well, because you can't measure it through data in the same way. There's things you can do to bring that into it. I've done this before too. You can go and analyze, all right, well, what's working? What are all the chords of the biggest songs right now? What are the structures of those songs? What's the DNA of what's happening there? And you can analyze it and you can use those as tools. But at the end of the day, one of the things I think is so special about creation and art and creativity is the magic of showing up to a blank page or a blank room and having no idea what is going to come. And at the end of the day, something happened and you have no idea how you got there. And once you get there, it's kind of like wrestling an alligator and then you like pin the alligator to the ground and now you've got it. But the wrestling the alligator part comes for a long time. I think Bob Dylan said something like that. That's what songwriting is. Because there's all this, where am I going? Where am I going? I'm in this dark tunnel. Is the end of the tunnel an inch away or 20,000 miles away? I don't know. But the bulk of my life has been in that world. And I don't want to use the word addiction, but I think if you don't feel like your head is on fire and you are running around trying to find water all the time to put the fire out, don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's an obsession in a way. It's a passion. It's a love. And it's something that's a part of who you are. It's why there's certain artists like you couldn't pay them any amount of money to get them to compromise or change what they did. You'd be like, oh, I'll give you a billion dollars, but now you have to like be a chief marketing officer of Tesla. And some songwriter who's 22 years old is like, fuck you. I want to write songs. I don't need your money. Why would you do that? It's irrational if you really try to think about it. But it's because the thing that you love the most is not quantifiable. That's pretty deep. I did not think this is where we were going to go, but I'm enjoying talking about it. That's what I like about this. I love getting to meet with people and have no idea where the conversations are going to go. But a place to take it would be you're a musician and you're a songwriter, and then you end up somewhere in this timeline becoming a songwriter for other people, including famous artists like Selena Gomez. So help me understand how you got there and how that entire space even works. During that year where I was writing songs every day, I wrote a song called Brooklyn in the Summer. It got sent to an artist named Aloe Black. Aloe is most famous for the Wake Me Up When It's All Over song. Aloe heard the song. He loved it and decided he wanted to record it. So I knew a bit about this world, but it wasn't my main world. This moment and this song threw me into this whole other world of writing and producing for other artists. So this was around 2017. I wrote the song. Aloe recorded the song. And it became a huge part of my life. So now I was writing five to seven songs a week, but as opposed to by myself, in rooms with other songwriters, producers, and artists, you're either writing a song for an artist, like you're in a room with like my friend's Instagram yesterday, is in a room with Jason Derulo and three other songwriters and two producers, and they're writing new songs for Jason Derulo's album. That's one example. They're in the room. The artist then is going to like cut the song ideally that day. You have a version of it. You're working together. I think that's what people tend to like the most on that front. And that's totally an opinion. Some people love what I'm about to say, which is you get in a room by yourself with another songwriter or producer and you write songs 
And then those songs are pitched to other artists for them to record. That's actually what happened in my case for the song that Selena cut. We wrote a song, like me and a group of friends. Selena ends up cutting the song and taking the song and recording the song. Then there's other examples where you are actually in the room. So I did a bunch of that, but then I also did a bunch of music that is called sync music. Sync music is a lot of music that's written specifically for film and TV or commercials, but not necessarily scoring. It's not like you're sending me a movie and I'm scoring the movie. It's more you've written a song that has a lyric or mood or vibe to the music that works really well for sports promos. Like I probably had my voice and a rock track has been played for every sports team in America at this point. It's super fun. It's very specific music to write for. It's very different than writing music for an artist. Like that one, I think, is a bit more scientific in a way. There's math to it. I did a lot of that music. So I ended up having music also for like the Olympics and the Super Bowl and did stuff with Riot Games and Epic and movies, TV, and was writing for other artists as well. I started doing this and within six months to a year, in my gut, I knew it wasn't right. I wanted to keep trying. So I kept trying. And eventually, the closer I got to the top, the more I realized that unless you're in the absolute top 10, top 20 songwriters, producers in the world, even if you're in the top 50 or 100, you don't have a lot of power creatively. Let's pretend that you are an artist and I write a song, you love the song, you go and record that song. And then I'm like, oh, and you change a word or change a bunch of words. We can at that point veto it. But if you're a huge artist, it's going to be hard. Eric's the biggest artist in the world. I'm like, I really want Eric to record my song. It's going to be huge for my career. I'm not going to say no. But then production wise, the marketing campaign, the music video, you're not really part of any of that. And that became really frustrating for me. Also financially, say you write a song for Eric, who's now the biggest artist in the world. And Eric just went on a tour with Justin Bieber. And now you, Eric, are on your first stadium tour internationally. You're going to go and make $300, $400 million on this tour. And you used a song that me and you wrote as the name for your tour. It's on all your merchandise. It's everywhere. There's 10,000 people with the t-shirt of the song we wrote called I Love Boston on everyone's shirt. And we're like, oh, you can't write a song called I Love Boston. It's the thing. It's like, yes, we can. And we can make our own shirts. You go and make or gross $400 million on that tour. And I see zero. That's kind of fucked up. Now, I understand why. Because I've been on both sides. As an artist, you're putting in all the money. You as a songwriter have nothing to do with all of the time and effort and budget that goes into financing that tour and coming up with the tour and developing it. But your IP, your copyright does not extend into that sphere. So as things like that started to happen, I've always been an artist. My dad's in real estate development. He was like, you can go to art school, but you have to go to all these meetings and just sit there and shut up and listen, and then we'll talk about it. So I have this duality of being in both worlds. And the business side of me at a certain point was just like, this doesn't add up. Because I'd see what I was making on the song side, and then what the people who were recording the songs were making, it didn't add up. And then at the same time, 
I love artists, but a lot of the time, the pathway, again, going with the theme of you have an idea, fear changes the idea, another idea, another impulse. The same thing happens, I think, with music. A great song's written, it gets to the artist, the artist really loves it, but the manager's afraid of something. So the manager is like, we should do a techno version of this song. And then the artist cuts the techno version. And then the artist's like, I broke up with my boyfriend, so now I want to do rock. Now they change it to rock. And then the label's like, well, you should add a little bit more polka to this, because polka's really popular now. And now you've just got this mishmash of shit and a lot of fear, because at the end of the day, no one really knows exactly what's going to work. The more I'm a part of this and realizing that I'm not super cut out for the day-to-day, just writing songs for people, which... Some of my best friends in the world do this. And I think it's an amazing career. If you truly, truly love it. I started learning about virtual artists and this idea of creating music and story and holistically developing the world of an artist. A company like Pixar develops a movie. And David, meanwhile, had been watching all of this. People had always asked David what he wanted to do, even me when we first met. And he didn't quite know, but it was clear he wanted to do something innovative in business. And then I remember when we closed the seed round, I was like, oh, it's clear what you want to do. (laughs) You want to run like a super innovative, challenging business. So he started seeing all this. And the problem there was, all right, you have all these talented people who aren't being compensated properly. For some of them, being bottlenecked creatively. And then you also have a lot of them, like songwriters and producers who are super, super talented, but don't like performing on stage, but still want to express themselves artistically. So what could solve for all of that? And at this point, digital money was being proven. It's 2017. I think this is something David actually said at that point. He's like, digital currency or digital people are next. We started in our free time. I was waking up at like 7 a.m. so we could brainstorm on this idea before David went to work. And then he'd be staying up late with me after my sessions talking about it. We became obsessed with this idea of virtual artists and what we called media assets on the blockchain at that point. Before you got to the virtual artists, there's this, I don't know if it's a trap, it's kind of a siren call, I feel, of blockchain or any type of new technology, is that people look at really embedded incumbents, like the music industry. Even as somebody that's not in music, I know that it's an entrenched industry. There's lots of big players. There's an imbalance of power who gets money, like you pointed out, with a songwriter. And I think when people think of blockchain or incentivizing stuff or playing with this, the first thing they want to do is go disrupt the evil empire. Because I hear these pitches all the time. We're going to create our own record label and we're going to tokenize it. Everyone's going to get paid in the way that we think. And I'm like, this all sounds great. And I'm all for trying but understand that they got to that position of power. They're not just going to give it up easily and you don't have distribution. And there's a lot of hills to climb. So were you ever like, now that I know the industry inside and out, I just want to turn it on its head because the virtual artist thing, which I'm excited to get to is a bit of a different path than just attacking the traditional music industry. I didn't start from there. I don't think David did either. It was more, we saw an opportunity for something new that could be done really well and be done in a way where it opened up a new vertical. I got asked a similar question on a Twitter space the other day, and someone was talking in a way where it's like, Web3 music's going to take over and destroy the current system. I was like, let me ask you a question. 
where does your dad keep most of his money? And they're like, oh, I'm Chase. So it's like, just because there is a new world, it doesn't mean that it supersedes or replaces the old world. I think what's happening right now is you're getting this world of Web3 music that will be its own world and continue to be its own world. And then now what you're seeing is every type of traditional entertainment business is now pulling in some type of Web3 element. So you're going to have traditional business that pulls in part of it, then you're going to have its own thing. I think it's going to be similar to what we've seen like in the finance world. It didn't replace it, just there's two different worlds. And then there's the bridges between the both of them. But we definitely didn't come in saying we want to completely replace major record labels and change all of this. And we're going to own that entire industry. This is a business that was built on the backs of some crazy shit back in the 20s and some pretty messy, ugly business practices and a lot of stuff that's very analog. And it's going to take a really long time for that stuff to change. And also these companies are owned by some of the biggest companies in the world. So there's just, there's too much money and power there to eliminate it completely. Now I do think we can shift the way that it is thought about and infiltrate from the inside out and then also create a whole new world and vertical that no one's done before. So tell me more, like what is a virtual artist? What does it mean to create this type of persona? So virtual artist is a completely 3D, for us, we call them meta stars, is like a fully virtual artist that's native to the metaverse and built for that world. If we're going to talk about it conceptually, there's two main types. Let's go back to Eric, the superstar artist who went on his tour with his hit song, I Love Boston. Eric can choose to create a new avatar version of himself called Shmeric. And Shmeric is a fully virtual. You went and used MetaHuman. You created an avatar for yourself. And Shmeric does Twitch streams as like an avatar and all that. And you have your own version. Maybe a better example is instead of Shmeric, you call yourself. Avion 5. And it's like a whole new type of character. But it's still you. And people know that. People know that Avion 5 is you. Then there's a whole other world of virtual artists that are completely unique and new and have their own story. And they aren't the alter ego of a singular human. And that is what really drew my attention, especially now that you know my entire life story going back as a singer and writer and being a part of plays and directing the concept of holistically getting to develop a world, a creative world, and working with a team of other incredibly talented creatives that all have a clear singular vision and can work together to create an artist and develop an artist is an amazing opportunity as a creative person. Your co-founder, David, was in blockchain and crypto really early. He had tried some other stuff. He was a consultant. So he definitely saw the world and had been playing with it. As you were being brought into the virtual artist stuff, how hard of the transition was it for you to start to understand where this was going with crypto or NFTs? Because you could have gone after this in a Web2 way. There's little Michaela. There's been virtual creations before. But how did it was your transition over to the Web3 side? I think our thought from the beginning was always that it would go both ways. David had an advisory firm to VCs, talking to them about all types of 
blockchain focused things in the 2017, 2018 era. So I was just starting to learn about that early days of this. I was just like, what's the next Pixar? What's that world? And David's world was always, what's the platform that redefines the relationship between a fan and an artist? Because if you have a virtual artist, you can do all kinds of new things that you can't necessarily do, especially if you're in quotes record label, you can't necessarily force artists to do anything or it might not be in their ethos. But for us, it got most exciting when it was like, what if you can have an on-chain experience where as opposed to like the Kickstarters or Patreons or Indiegogos of their time, you own this asset. I was explaining it to a 10-year-old, you own this thing that's like a key that then you can use your key to go in and Angel Baby, for example, that you saw on TikTok doing a dance that you really like, you can use your key to go to this website. You know what a website is. And on this website, you get to vote on the next song from Angel Baby, and you will be a part of deciding how it comes out. The concept of being able to work with a team to develop that artist and be holistically involved in it from the beginning, but then also have a platform like that, that got us really excited and I think felt like it was a bit more future thinking. Like it was really building for something that could eventually evolve into a platform that other virtual artists, whether they're alter ego virtual artists or fictional virtual artists, could use to build their communities and grow their world. For people who haven't seen Angel Baby or don't know who Angel Baby is, do you want to introduce Angel Baby? Angel Baby is a seven foot virtual rabbit from the year 3045. Angel Baby has basically been around for a thousand years. And in their time, the metaverse was closed by an evil republic called the Zani Republic. And we could talk about this for hours, but the Zanis were absolutely horrible, just vicious and killed lots of people. And a group called the Hume Collective was formed to fight the Zani Republic. And Angel Baby is one of the original founding members. But unfortunately, they lost a war in the 2700s. And Angel and their other members of the Hume Collective had to live in hiding for over 300 years. And they developed this deep culture of making decisions together on songs and co-creation. And were constantly trying to stop the Zani Republic. And then in 3045, and I'll give you the truncated version of this, Angel left a concert in the spot, which was their creative safe haven, and someone had routed them out. And there were 10,000 Zani soldiers, and they went through this crazy fight and ended up in like a grotto. And in the grotto, there was this crazy cyber gate, which is something that allows you to go in and out of the metaverse in the real world. And Angel had no choice and went through that cyber gate, and it brought them back to the day they were first minted on the blockchain, August 8th. 2021. Because Angel Baby is an NFT. Angel Baby is part of a project called Fluff World. And now to kind of analyze what I just said, when David and I closed our seed round, which we could get into that whole world, I would say the same thing I said about songwriters, I'd say to entrepreneurs who are one of your founders, if your head is not fire, <laughs> don't fucking do it, man. Because <laughs> it is, <laughs> you got to love it in a way that you cannot explain. At that point, we'd taken out credit cards. David had quit his job. 
I had shifted from everything I was doing. And we closed this round and we had these two virtual artists named Ivan and Peter, who I think you brought up before. And we decided to go in a week's time with our beloved friend, Angel Baby, because what it felt like at that time, which feels like 10 years ago, even though it was a little less than a year and a half ago, I felt like I was seeing the punk rock scene, but there were no bands, but there were all these fans. And it was really David who came to the table. Within one week, we decided to ship and move to the world with Angel Baby. And what was cool about it is we were able to connect to the Fluff World team, which is now Futureverse, and talk to them about our vision and work with them. And immediately, especially because Angel Baby has such a deep, powerful story, day one, Angel Baby said, there's this whole crazy thing that Angel did where they told the Hume Collective, they said, meet me in the desert. And they had escaped or like ran away from the Hume Collective. Everyone's like, where the fuck is Angel? Is Angel out partying? What's going on right now? And Angel posts this tweet, meet me in the desert. And fluff holder fans send Angel Baby desert NFTs. At that point, like worth more than one ETH in October of 2021. And it immediately showed you the power of community I think the power of community and the power of story and the power of Web3, of what you can do once you start creating new types of relationships with fans, it inspires new types of interactions that hadn't really existed before. So Angel Baby is an NFT, and that's from Fluff World, now Futureverse. You guys decide that this is going to be the first virtual character, and right, obviously this epic lore you just walked us through in the short version. Tell me more about how the notion of the artist and the musician and Angel Baby, like how the mechanics work of how Angel Baby is inspired and how this idea of making this artist become a successful or popular artist amongst this community. In order to do justice by Angel Baby. Angel Baby is Angel Baby. Angel Baby is real. David and I met Angel Baby in the Angeles Forest. They told us their story, how we need to start the Hume Collective here. We need to like change the future, stop the zombie republic. But if I were to analyze it and talk about it from a technical standpoint, I think it goes back to all of the things we talked about before, especially with a virtual artist, whether it's you as an alter ego, or if it's a world like Hume, where it's more structured like Pixar, but we don't make 3D films, we holistically develop 3D artists. It's about Having a creative team that has a very clear vision and shows up every day to create unbelievable work together for a virtual artist. And it does create new efficiencies and processes and eventually tech that you can use because you don't necessarily have the ego issue of working with an artist. Everyone has the same exact goal. And it's been amazing to watch songwriters and producers specifically See how creative they are when you come into a room and it's like, all right, let's help Angel Baby today. What does Angel Baby need? What are we working on? Oh, Angel Baby's love of their life. Cleo pulled a grenade to kill the Zani Republic and push Angel through the Cybergate in order to save Angel Baby. But one of the last things Angel said to Cleo was, you know what? He was drunk and said, like, you don't fucking love me. That's not true what I'm saying. But now everybody knows that story and they can write that song and work on that song. And what's interesting is then we're able to look at data and this is actually happening right now. So we have a song called All Good Spaceship that is the first song the community decided on 
in the spot, our platform, you connected your human genesis and decided between a song called What Happens When You Die and a song called All Gold Spaceship. Community decided on All Gold Spaceship. We did a mint for All Gold Spaceship and now we've released All Gold Spaceship and it's the fastest growing song we've done. So now you're in a place where you start to have information. You can make new decisions where it's like, I don't know if this type of song will change Angel Baby's entire sound, but maybe we do like a handful more of these songs and they can be a Web3 specific EP that goes to the audience that we know really, really like the music. You get to have an informed group that's working on deep creative projects based on very, very clear vision that has been vetted through analysis of what we believe could work and what we think is happening. It's interesting where the story started about the traditional world and how a little bit of behind the scenes of how a song comes to be made, a songwriter writes it, then it gets pitched, then an artist gets it, then maybe our manager tweaks it. I think he called it a mishmash of shit by the time it might end up somewhere. And you as the creative genius are like, man, what they did. The thing I was thinking about, which is again, probably another off-topic tangent for you, is that when I think about art, I just think it in the simplest form to me is something evokes an emotion. And when an artist does something, they're usually coloring outside the lines of consensus. They're not doing what everyone else is doing, which is why, for me at least, that's like where the emotion gets caused. And then when I think about groupthink or writing a song that's popular because someone analyzed data, I know from a business side why that makes money, but it seems like you're tearing the soul out of the artist's creative process. How do you balance that where you're trying to have a community of people make decisions, but not just recreate a mismatch of shit more organized on blockchain. At the end of the day, we all have so much going on in our lives. You, as someone who say you're a nurse or you're a doctor or you're a teacher or you're an analyst, whatever, you have so much going on in your life. And if you're not a songwriter, you don't necessarily have the time, I think, nor the interest to on every single day be making decisions on helping to write a song with a group. But I do think it's really interesting to hear Angel Baby talk about their incredible story and say, when I got here, I wrote these two songs and I need your help to tell me which one of them I should put out. So that's one piece where I feel like it's all about the experience. It's all about the experience and the story. And then on the tech side, making it so easy to use and powerful and have utility. So you're like, this is great. I get to do this thing and it has value and I get to have this experience. Because eventually, as it starts to like grow and grow and grow and grow, and you've got millions of people, it's like when Toy Story first came out, people weren't like, this is an incredible 3D animated film. They were just like, oh my God, Woody. It's like, I can't believe Andy put him down. And the reviews were just like, this is a great movie. And then the other piece is, I do believe that structure and constraint is one of the best things that you can have as an artist. So if you say... Let's use All Gold Spaceship again as an example. Say we know, all right, you know what? This did really well. Let's do more like this. What do we know about All Gold Spaceship? It's around X tempo. These are the ingredients on the production side. This is the theme. This is the vibe. Okay, let's go and write a bunch of songs in that vibe. And now everybody knows. It's more saying, I'm a painter. Today, I'm going to use crayons. And tomorrow, I'm going to use watercolor. And the next day, I'm going to use acrylic. Or it's going to be a mix of acrylic and watercolor. And you might say like, oh, well, you're limiting yourself. But in a lot of ways, you're giving yourself a huge amount 
of opportunity for creativity because you know what you're working with. This is a little bit away from Hume, just because I'm thinking about, in the example of Toy Story, would Woody have ever been created if you asked a million Americans what to do here? And the balance of the artists and the team at Pixar being a small group of creative geniuses that work tirelessly for an idea that if other people maybe heard it early or got exposed the wrong way or there was any decisions, they probably would have been killed or people would have followed a safe or more compromised route where the artist is saying, you don't even know what I'm about to show you and it's going to blow your mind. To me, that's kind of the magic. I don't think Cube's going down this path, but it's just this question I have about like the creative process being small and tight, you and your friends in that music studio versus me and 4,000 people that own an NFT voting on something. How does that interact with the creative process? I don't personally believe in super deep decentralized creativity, especially in songwriting. I do think in other areas, it could be really cool. And I think there's amazing opportunity with story and lore. We have some ways that we're approaching it where I can't say too much at this moment, but where you, if say you're a fan and you're a songwriter, where you can go and create your own work and share that and someone else can create their own work and you collaborate in those ways. But if you do get to a point where say it's a million people, everyone's like, oh, we should use this line in this sentence. Not only do I think that would make for not a great song, I don't think people want to do that at a core level. I just don't think so. But I do think we all want to have the experience of being a part of something. And you can curate creative worlds for people to be a part of that make it really easy with just how much stuff we have to do. You got to pay bills, you got to vote, you got your kids or you're in high school, you fell in love. You don't have time for that shit to have some type of very clear, simple experience. And with Toy Story, I don't know if you've seen the Pixar documentary on Disney Plus, but at some point, edgy movies were doing really well in the 90s. And they kept pushing the team. I might butcher a tiny bit of the story, but this is fairly accurate, I believe, to make it edgier. Very long story short, the iteration of Toy Story before what we've seen story-wise was apparently unwatchable and just like horrible. And everyone hated Woody. And I believe the team then went back and just redid it on their own, came up with the new vision of it, and then presented that to the team at whether I think it was Disney at the time. Like, this is the movie we want to make. I think for now, it will continue to be groups of artists led by teams with great taste and vision and creativity that can innovate and push the line. And as technology continues to evolve and give you the tools like what we're seeing with Dale, once you're able to have iterations of that, it's going to be a whole new tool that allows songwriters and writers and producers and directors and creators to iterate. So with Hume, I think I have a general understanding of it, but how do you envision Hume growing as a platform? What is your vision or goal of where you're trying to take Hume? I'd say like on one half, Hume is a creative studio. Hume works holistically to develop virtual artists in the way that Pixar works holistically to develop a movie. But then on the platform side, creating a platform that allows you as a fan to interact and engage with the artist in a way that you've never really been able to do before. The Morse code, very simple early days way right now is what we just did where you were able to go in and make a decision between what happens when we die in an all gold spaceship. And the whole experience was creative and story driven from the beginning. Like Angel did a Twitter space and talked about how Cleo pushed him through the cyber gate and wrote these two songs about it, et cetera, et cetera. So that experience will continue to grow. And continue to grow in the way that we've talked about, where you're 
able to make decisions about different things. You're able to have experiences at live shows that are interactive and able to utilize the platform to grow and engage with this virtual artist in ways that you never have before. Like imagine if Angel Baby was the size of Taylor Swift and you were able to curate the new Taylor Swift album with her. And then you were a part of that whole success and experience. And then as that grows, once we get there, other virtual artists will be able to use the platform to grow their audiences and build communities for themselves. So with Hume, we're a year and a half, two years, three years down the line, and you think virtual artists, you'll think Hume. I was about to ask you our final question, but before I do, which song did you pick? Did you pick the same one that the community picked, or did you want the other one? I chose the other one. (laughs) (laughs) I chose the other one, but I had a gut feeling that All Gold Spaceship would win, but I was like, I'm going with the one that I like. What's really interesting is you create in a new way. Because every time you're creating a single, you know that you're making two. It changes the way that you think and operate. (laughs) We actually pay our songwriters and producers for their day rate. We didn't talk about this. When you go to write all those songs, say you do 200 sessions in a year, you don't get paid for any of that time. Most time, lunch or transportation isn't covered. It's all based on writing for the potential of a back-end upside. So yeah, we pay our songwriters and producers. And it's. I think everybody does like the fact that you have to write more songs because you need more options. That's awesome. We end every podcast with the same question. What are you most excited to build over the next six months? And what are you most excited to see built over the next six years? For the next six months, I would say it feels like it's two aspects. One is bridging this gap between Web3 and Web2. So bringing Angel Baby into the rest of the world. So on TikTok and Spotify, music videos and growing, growing, growing and growing. So there's that piece. And then there's developing the platform further. So you as a fan are able to interact, engage and do even more as a fan with Angel Baby and the other meta stars, which might be like my alpha for the podcast. Perhaps there are more that are coming. That I feel like can directly connect to the six year question, which this will happen sooner. But I think now, all right, we're a year out and Angel Baby is this artist that has audiences around the world, some of whom know nothing about Web3. But you have, say, a 12 year old who sees a TikTok video of Angel Baby singing their new single. They fall in love with it. Angel Baby's their new favorite artist. And at Thanksgiving, they're listening to Angel Baby and showing their other cousin. And one of their older cousins kind of like, what are you listening to? What is that? And they show him Angel Baby. And it's like, whoa, do you know what this is? Let me show you the spot. Angel Baby's part of the Hume Collective. This is Hume's platform, the spot. Let's get you one of these passes. Maybe the cousin doesn't even call it a music NFT because they don't want to confuse them. And now you can make the next decision on Angel Baby's single. And you as a 12-year-old is just like, whoa. And maybe at that point, animation tools are so easy to use that that kid goes home and the next day starts writing their own songs and learns animation and creates an alter ego avatar of themselves and then starts using the human platform to build their own audience. That really excites me to be able to know that the human world on the creative side 
is expansive to the point where there are TV shows and movies and we're all part of this world and all the meta stars are as prominent in our lives like Drake and Taylor Swift and other artists are, but also that the experience that young people, older people, everyone is having are so deep and rich and new that you're like growing up with these artists and these experiences. Like the meta stars become part of your childhood, just like Woody becomes part of your childhood. But the thing is, you weren't able to engage with it and have that ownership experience that now you can because of Web3 and the platform. That's a very optimistic and exciting future. I love talking with creative (laughs) people and artists that are trying to empower more people to express that creativity because I think it's just such a huge way for people to communicate with each other. So Jay, thank you so much for coming on. We really enjoyed it. Thank you, man. This has been awesome. To find more episodes of Breakdowns or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com. 